made it past the pro wrestling, around the basketball, didn't get distracted by the Rick and Morty memes. That means you're inside my caged mind. Hi, I'm Micah Frankel, and now you're inside of an MMA crazed place. And where we'll start today is with a new look. And everybody like everybody loves a new look. You get that fresh pair of shoes, you get that fresh haircut, you like the way the new jeans are. Well, it's fresh look day for the UFC. A fresh look coming from an old friend as we are done with Reebok and it is now time to once again wear Venom. Gotta appreciate the rollout, Brian Ortega, Aljermaine Sterling, Kay Hansen. I like the look. I like the colors. You can already see a superior product in what has been developed by Venom and the trajectory that the UFC is going in now with the fight kits rather than where they came from. Now Reebok is still in the picture. They are the official footwear still for the UFC to close out the rest of the year. So it'll be interesting to see if there is another company announced to be the official footwear of the UFC. One thing that I'm looking forward to that I've seen rumored, but I'm really not sure if it's actually going to happen, and I know I'm kind of a news source, so I should know what's happening, is I've heard a rumor that the Venom gloves could be entering the octagon, and I wonder if there has been a change to the shape of the glove, if there is something forward-moving, forward-thinking into the protection of the eye pokes that we will see coming. So maybe besides just what looks to be a nicer, a nicer material, a superior product, that you may get in a more innovative product, a more, you know, industry altering for the better product that that's what i'm hoping for maybe i'm exaggerating in the hopes of the new glove because it wasn't something that was widely promoted and you figured if it was it would be a huge selling point and sticking point hey guys we've seen these eye poke problems and don't worry we are addressing it and you're going to see it very very soon but that it's rumored i don't know if it is the case it's one of those things that definitely has me intrigued like that word intrigued to see how it's going to play out but again saw the colors saw the fits it looks interesting and heck ufc on abc bright and early saturday morning one of those during the day events for us here in the united states or what people call in europe you know a decent time them having a decent time event we'll be seeing that event with vittori and on short notice Kevin Holland, think about the ability for Kevin Holland right here. It was a bad performance getting out-wrestled, getting grinded out by Derek Brunson. You know that Vittori, well, he does have more submissions than knockouts. It's 9-2 to two with 11 finishes. That Vittori is not a D1 wrestler. It's not Calvin Gaslam. It's not Derek Brunson. Maybe you're not going to get taken down. Maybe that love of the knockout, the wanting to trade, you have an opportunity here now if you're the king's mma squad you are in vittori's ear that we see the clearest easiest path to victory is the takedown 
Holland has an opportunity for a knockout. You had the 2020 Fighter of the Year fight fight win streak. 2021 starts out bad with a loss, but you get this win and it jumps you right back into the title mix. It's like even Derek Brunson at this point has to be a fan of Kevin Holland. Dude, I just beat that guy. He beat somebody that clears an even bigger path for me to get right back in the title contention. Big time for the middleweights. Also, we know that Darren Till breaks his collarbone, unfortunately, or suffers a collarbone injury. Excuse me, not broken officially. Injury going to take him out of the runnings for the Robert Whitaker fight. Kelvin Gastelum jumps back in. Nice to see that one. We'll all remember the tough season. We weren't able to see that fight happen. Whitaker, Gastelum. We know that Adesanya displeasured by that turn of events as he was hoping to take on Darren Till. And somebody's really got to explain to me why Adesanya doesn't want to fight Whitaker again. I understand you beat the dude. But he's got two. This would be three now. Top ten wins since losing the title. It's a pretty strong argument to get the fight back. And even if you're Adesanya and you say, well, it's not the biggest fight possible. Dude, coming off of a loss to Blahovich, if you think it's winnable, or maybe you don't. Maybe that's really what it is. It's calling out Darren Till because Darren Till would be the easier fight. Darren Till would be the fight with less threat where you see Whitaker as a threat, and you don't want to have to have that fight unless you are forced to. And I can understand the UFC, we were trying to make Adesanya a superstar, so he went up to light heavyweight. We'll give him an opportunity to tune things back up as he comes back to his division to being the middleweight champion, so we'll let him handpick the opponent. Well, all brakes are hit, and I'm talking about emergency brakes on a huge train, as soon as Darren Till is null and void. That really says, hey man, you want a rematch, Gastelum? You want a rematch, Vittori? You want a rematch, Whitaker? Because a rematch seems to be the most likely of events for Israel Adesanya in defending his middleweight title, unless you really are in the corner of Kelvin of Kevin Holland. And if you're thinking Holland wins by knockout over Vittori, maybe you get Holland, or maybe you just go right to Brunson. I'm not sure where Adesanya is thinking, but we know that his thinking was obviously towards Daring Till, and now it's been derailed. And I got all the way there from talking about how Venom has come in, and it's going to be a fresh new look, and the champions will still be befitted in the black and gold. It's a new era. I'm excited to see Venom. I'm excited to see just how the layout is of the product when we see the fighters on Saturday, how we're going to see the name across the left leg. I'm intrigued by this. I'm hoping that the fighters are excited, and I'm really excited to hear feedback from the fighters once they'll be training in the attire to see how it is. Because I did hear a lot of compliments towards the Reebok gear when people were training in it. Uh, some of the apparel, the lifetime apparel, that the hoodies were incredible. But not everything was loved. I didn't really see many of the guys rocking their jerseys ever. It's going to be interesting to see how Venom does with the UFC and how it does with the market, how it does for the fighters financially, because we know that a huge aspect of the deal has to be the money. 
and 100% of the money from the Reebok deal was to go to the fighters, according to the UFC. Well, that deal in its time netted $40 million. Not a bad number. I believe it was actually $39 million and like 300000 Not a bad number, but it's a huge loss and an epic failure when the expected payout to the fighters was going to be $70 million in that seven years. So they were hoping for $10 million a year. Now, from where they were at, where you look at $40 million over seven years, we're talking about under $6 million a year, that with, and it's only been a small incremental bump in pay is what Venom ends up giving the fighters. It's $500 uh, a fighter for your first five fights. It's about a $1,000 increment for the next five and then a $2,000 bump. I think champions went from 40 to 42 challengers. Title challengers went from like 30 to 32,000. That $2,500, depending on what level of the Venom revenue sharing fight week kit, whatever level you're in, that little bump at least is expected to bring in a million dollars more altogether for the fighters. So you're looking at they were a skosh under six million a year, and hopefully now the whole group it'll be a I guess just a little under seven million a year. Still way under what these guys deserve for sponsorships, way under what they deserve for wearing a outfitter's attire for the whole fight week, for wearing it through the UFC blogs and vlogs and all those interactions. I also wonder if you're going to see, because we know Reebok went away from it, if there's going to be certain fighters who get these extra kind of sponsorship deals. Because I know that when Reebok took over, there were fighters like Tiago Santos who stayed with Venom. Santos was a huge face of Venom in Brazil. Now, does that sponsorship go over? Does he become one of the bigger faces? Didn't see him in this first rollout. But I still have these kind of questions about Venom. But I feel better about Venom, a traditional combat sports brand that has still been making its foothold very prevalently in the boxing world. And not to mention in one championship. Love having them back in the UFC. Now, as we're talking about the middleweight division and how that division can play out. We look up at the heavier divisions and we know that Jan Blachowicz, Glover Teixeira is the next destination for a light heavyweight title fight. That takes us back to all the drama and where the eyes are all really focused on and that is the heavyweight division. Nganu is the champion and the big money fight that everybody was clamming, clamoring for as soon as the left hook landed people were already tweeting tweeting Nganu Jones, when do we see the fight? The next big thing against quite possibly the GOAT, the youngest light heavyweight champion of all time. We can dive into that story by easily saying there are some issues in contract negotiations between Dana White and John Jones. Those issues seem to come to a head last week when John Jones was demanding his release. But to avail, I woke up Thursday morning to a John Jones who is tweeting about a very 
good dinner last night. To which Dana White replied back, indeed it was, brother. So the, the cohesiveness right there being shown by Dana and John would lead me to believe, because Albuquerque, New Mexico, where I am located at, it's not that far away from Las Vegas, Nevada. That flight is not more than 90 minutes, maybe two hours. It's not a long journey to jump on a plane or with Endeavor's connections, charter a jet or a helicopter and bring Jones from Albuquerque to Las Vegas for an important dinner meeting and business meeting. So I went into Thursday, Friday, thinking, man, we got a chance again. The negotiations seem to be ongoing, but going in the right direction. There seems to be an understanding of each guy's position. There seems to have been some headway made between John Jones and Dana White in moving forward to making the heavyweight title fight that we all, as the fans... We all, as the media, we all as even the fellow fighters, because I asked Jackson Wink fighter Jesse Tafoya on the radio show On the Mic with Mike Adams, which you can catch every Saturday on 95.9 FM and AM 610, The Sports Animal, sportsanimal.abq.com. Yeah, if you can check us out on the radio show. I asked Jesse what would be his dream fight at this point. And the Jackson Wing fighter even said, Nganu Jones. I'm like, boom, that proves the point. Even the fighters are telling us that's the fight that needs to be made. That's the money fight. It's the fight that makes sense. It's the fight that draws intrigue. But if you're fans of the podcast, which I please encourage you to become, I appreciate the support. If you can like, share, and subscribe, you know, like the episode, share the episode, subscribe to the to the podcast that would all be greatly appreciated. I was talking about it earlier. Don't be surprised. And don't be surprised. And this is where the dude comes right back into the fast lane like he's driving NASCAR, able to catch the drift and is going to pass John Jones by. Derek Lewis versus Francis Ngannou is the easy fight to make. Chael Sutton was berating John Jones on social media. And Chow Sonnen has tested positive for PEDs, performance enhancing drugs. Chow Sonnen has pled guilty to federal money laundering charges. So you got a, another abuser, cheater, who has been a criminal calling out John Jones for those same actions while also trying to be detrimental to John's leverage in negotiating. Well, the one thing you can all agree with me, your feelings about Chal Sutton, is that he is a capitalist. The dude goes after money. He is a smart man. And he's wisely positioning himself in the company's corner, trying to belittle John Jones into taking less money. That hurts John Jones's argument. We got members of the media out here backing up the company. A company, again, that reportedly only pays out 17% of profits or 17% of revenue to the fighter. That's a third of what we're looking at from other major entities where we're talking about MLB, NBA verging on the high 40s, mid 40%, the big three in sports. And the UFC is down here at 17%. Everybody 
that's a former fighter should be arguing for every fighter to get more money, whether you like John Jones or not. Take those personal feelings and remove them from the situation. It's better for all the fighters to get more pay and to be detrimental to that argument. Obviously, we know where you're positioning yourself. Another thing that didn't help John Jones, and it's that car passing him by, John Jones is saying, I'm not willing to take 8 to, to $10 million or 8 to $12 million. I forgot what the figure was. And we all know that's relative to a percentage. He's looking for a bigger percentage of the pie. And again, if we're talking about 17% payouts, you understand the UFC would have that ability. But if they don't want to, they don't have to. Because of Derek Lewis says, shoot. I will take that fight for $8 million anytime, any day. And that's to the benefit of the UFC because they can always find another fighter who will take their desired offer and will fight for it. There's always going to be somebody out there that that money is the biggest payday they've ever gotten. And that just hurts everyone else trying to bring the bottom up. It's not Derek Lewis's fault that he's trying to get paid. It's not Derek Lewis's fault that he's trying to feed his family. Be a little less boisterous about it. We all know, dude, you would do it for that money. But to a reassuring in the public eye just puts one more stack of files in the case against John Jones' argument of why he should get more money. It'd be a special fight. It would be a historic fight. It's the kind of fight that does deserve more money, more than your normal title fight, because it would be a super fight. Now we know that MMA, it's a dangerous job. It is a hazard. It is grueling. And this week has been unlike any other that I've ever seen in that aspect. Because we'll go back to CFFC 94, Devin Goodall in the first round, body kick, doesn't look to do much, you see Ketlag Olav readjust his gloves, but it's not until between the second and third round till we realize that Olav's ring finger on his left hand apparently has been kicked off or dislocated, possibly just lost in his glove after Devin Gold was illegally grabbing the glove and maneuvering it around. What we do know is that the Olaf ring finger was dislocated, apparently still held on by some skin, and when he was taken to the hospital, the glove was cut off, the finger was there, and it was reattached. Dudes be losing Fingers. Ugh. It, we can't have a crazier weekend than that. Uh, but little or not to imagine, you also had Jason Jackson. Now, this was not via foul. This was crazy incident. I once saw Chris Brown, the future, Breezy, fall on a thumb going into a guy's guard and getting himself poked in the eye which you never think you're going to see, but Jason Jackson, in guard of Neiman Gracie, fell forward and scraped his left eye down the cage. 
You will never see weirder injuries occur than the ones you see in MMA. And, and I am just still astonished with ringside physicians in the world of mixed martial arts. Because when somebody says they have an eye injury, I understand going in there, looking at it, shining a light, looking to see how, if a scratch caused a damage to a cornea, a retina, if it's where, if there's something bleeding. But I failed to notice the point now or understand the point why we've went away from covering the good eye and asking the fighter how many fingers he sees. Now I can understand if there's a language barrier, quite possibly somebody's yelling something out. But I feel like it's irresponsible to possibly be letting a blind fighter continue because you don't see visible damage. Now, I know Jason Jackson walked out the winner at Bellator 255, but to tell me he could see to close out that first round that his vision wasn't compromised, I really can't get behind that mindset or that thinking. I am all about fighter safety and it's crazy to see the level of injuries. And those are injuries with a guy raking his eye, a guy losing a finger. Those are pretty visible. You'll notice a missing finger. You will see a guy with his left eye closed the entire fight. Those you will notice. But the brain is something you can't notice. And it is the most valuable tool, the most valuable weapon that a fighter has. Because if you don't have that cerebral portion going, you're not able to outthink your opponent. You're not able to outfast. You're not able to out-tactician. You're not able to outmaneuver. Saying all this, talking about the value of the brain, we all know a couple months ago, the first UFC on ABC One epic main event, Max Holloway putting on a show, just otherworldly, another level, putting a beating on Calvin Cater, and Cater, unfortunately, is too Boston strong for his own good. We all know if we saw Dana White's comments and others, there was true concern for the long-term well-being of Calvin Cater from the kind of beating he was taking from the kind of impact that was being doled out to his brain. Three months later, it's being reported that Cater has still not returned to practice, that he is taking it slow, and that he is still showing some ill effects of the concussion, showing some symptoms of a concussion and it all wraps back around to whether you like John Jones or not the value of a brain cannot really be put you can't put a price on it you can't put a price on another guy's life and when you really look at it and think about it any fighter could have their last fight there have been plenty of guys that have not been able to continue from concussions. Uh, Joe Valtellini, glory kickboxer, who had to give up on his competitive career and continue teaching, is one that jumps out to me. I know there was a TJ Grant, 
Canadian lightweight, was on the verge of a title fight. Concussions ended his competitive career. Concussions are serious. And that's why when you look at these fighters putting their brains on the line, you have to want to be on the John Jones side of he deserves to get paid more. The UFC will be able to promote more fights, but the fighters only have so much of a shelf life. Unfortunately, you put it like that. You look at the injury, you look at the personal risk and harm that these guys are putting into their bodies. And that's also another reason why I once again want to establish I'd rather see an early stoppage than a late stoppage. Derek Lewis, that was one punch too many, I thought, against Curtis Blades. Francis Ngannou, one punch too many. You even look back to the regional scene this past weekend and see... CFFC had a doubleheader. Lost a finger on Thursday night. Friday night, you see Chris Vassell with a spinning wheel kick knockout of the year. Or, sorry, Paul Capodallo hitting Chris Vassell with a spinning wheel kick that has to be on already the short list of candidates for knockout of the year. But then he flew in with a bunch of unneeded hammer fists. It would have been so much more badass. I'm talking about movie style badass to walk off knockout. Because that was a walk off. That was a send you home folks. Thanks for coming walk off. And you went too far. Brains are important. And I just like to see some earlier stoppages. Now as we're coming around the corner. We take the turn. And the last thing on my mind today that I need to get around is the Bellator rankings, and it's a good idea. Bellator is still trying to make their own niche, really, in MMA. I feel like they've been floating since they've been with Scott Croker. Because when you go from MTV to Spike to CBS Sports over to Showtime, you're trying to get these Grand Prix off, but they're taking a long time. Bellator has had these highs and lows of really catching media attention. Bellator's treading water. I understand they have to do some things to get notoriety. Rankings are a big thing. We understand that the UFC rankings kind of get overlooked. You see a Nate Diaz versus a Leon Edwards, and you understand the magnitude of a star that Nate Diaz is. And you still just say, really? He's not ranked. He hasn't fought in like a year, but he gets the number three guy, and he's going to get a chance for a title fight. Why do we even have rankings if we're just going to use the old boxing star model? So we get Bellator. And Bellator, got to be honest, put together a very good com committee of knowledgeable MMA media members to make their rankings. And then you initially really start looking at it and you understand you don't recognize some of these names. There are guys that have been fighting for Bellator Europe that are getting credit for their longevity versus guys that are getting brought over. There's no bigger glaring eyesore in the Bellator rankings than noticing that the light heavyweight division goes as so. Vadim Nevkov, Ryan Bader, Phil Davis, Corey Anderson, Leota Machida. Those all make sense. Then we have Julius Ingliscus, Grant Neal, Christian Edwards, Tyree Fortune, Melvin Manhoof, and Alex Pozzoli. 
Why do I bring up those names 5 through 10? Because none of them are in the Bellator Light Heavyweight Grand Prix. So it might have been a little tacky. Yoel Romero, Anthony Johnson, and the other European fighters that will be making their debuts in the Grand Prix who are going to be lined up for title shots before these other guys in the rankings, I think they deserve to be ranked a bit more just throughout their stature, just from the resumes that they're bringing to the cage. I've talked to Christian Edwards before he trains down here at JW. 4-0, I can understand if you say that's not good enough to be ranked. Same thing with Neil, same thing with Fortune. 5-0 is just not good enough. But when you get up to Inglisgis and you're like, yeah, 9-1, former LFA champion, two big wins in Bellator, not good enough to be in the Grand Prix, but good enough to get a ranking, it's making me scratch my head. It makes me go, huh? Are, are, are we really on the, on the right paths here? And it just gets that much more emphasized by looking at what Bellator is putting together. Chris Cyborg, May 21st, was announced at this last Bellator, Bellator 255, that Bellator 259 will see the rematch. Cyborg defending the featherweight title against Leslie Smith, who comes in as the number four ranked contender. Well, that must mean that Cyborg's taking care of the rest of the division, right? Wait, working her way through, or maybe there's some injuries. And there are people that are inactive. But you would be surprised to learn that, you know, Kat Zingano, who's ranked number two, is fighting. She's going to be fighting this weekend. Wait, what? She's fighting this weekend? Yeah, she's already booked for one. So maybe timing and things just not working out. But she's the number two ranked contender. Going to be taking on Olivia Parker. Not ranked. Okay. The card was supposed to see Julia Budd in action. That fight's actually been delayed and postponed a week back to Bellator 257. So at least we get away from the awkwardness, because let, let's be real. How awkward would it be to see Katzengano versus Olivia Parker, the number two contender versus an unranked opponent, and to see Julia Budd, the number one ranked contender, against an unranked Dana Silva? Now, I'm not trying to rank or knock these unranked fighters, but I got more the question of why one isn't facing two, why one and two would be on the same card, but not fighting each other. That, that just doesn't make sense to me. But I guess Bellator is looking to try to build up these fighters, showcase them, and then go into these title fights. But the Bellator rankings, you wish they made sense. But when you see people in Grand Prix not ranked, and when you see ranked contenders from the same division on the same card not fighting each other, you, you got to ask how this came to be. You got to wonder when you look in the middleweight division and you're looking at a Fabian Edwards being ahead of. Costello Van Ives. I only point that one out because in their last official fight, Van Ives beat Edwards. I understand that Bellator has booked Edwards to fight Vander Austin Vanderford at Bellator 259, the same card as Cyborg, 
Smith too. But how do you get over a guy that you beat? And Charlie Ward comes in at number seven, and I don't want to knock the guy, but his wins in Bellator, none of them come against guys on this list. So Bellator trying hard with the rankings. We'll see how it shakes out, but it feels like already from the get-go, they're trying hard, but they need to try harder. Don't forget, one championship on Wednesday. DJ takes on Adriano Moraes for the one championship flyweight world championship. That's 135 pounds there in one championship. That's Wednesday. On Friday, you have Bellator 256. That's Machida Bader 2. That's the start of the light heavyweight Grand Prix. And then on Saturday, it starts early. I believe 10 a.m. Eastern or so. You have UFC on ABC2. And now you've went all around my cage mine. I'm Micah Frankel. Keep up with Cage Minds. Visit the website cageminds.com. On Facebook, it's Cage Minds Combat Sports News. On Instagram, Cage Minds underscore CSN. On Twitter, it's at Cage Minds MMA. My personal Twitter is at Frankel Micah. So my last name and then my first name. And also go over to YouTube. It's Cage Minds MMA Show. Thanks for listening.